That was flutist Hubert Laws. Hubert was named a 2011 NEA Jazz Master, which is the highest honor that our nation bestows on jazz artists. Welcome to Artworks, the program that goes behind the scenes with some of the nation's great artists to explore how art works. I'm your host, Josephine Reed. On January 11th, 2011, the 29th class of NEA Jazz Masters will be given their awards at a ceremony and rocking concert that will take place at Jazz at Lincoln Center. In case you missed the announcement, Hubert Laws will be joined by saxophonist David Liebman, composer and arranger Johnny Mendel, producer Orrin Keep News, and the Marsalis family. Today, we're going to take a look at each of these jazz masters' contributions to this uniquely American art form. And who better to talk about jazz masters than a jazz master? In this case, Mr. Dan Morgenstern. Dan is a Grammy Award-winning author, jazz historian, editor, and educator, who's been the director of the Institute of Jazz Studies at Rutgers University since 1976. Dan is the recipient of the 2007 A.B. Spellman NEA Jazz Masters Award for Jazz Advocacy. But his relationship with Jazz Masters goes back much further than 2007. I was kind of in on the ground floor insofar as I was on the NEA jazz panel when it was decided to start the the Jazz Masters Awards. And remember the first year, it was Roy Eldridge and Dizzy Gillespie and Sun Ra. And it was a very, very satisfying uh, thing to to do for the United States uh, to officially recognize this great music and to honor musicians and also, in some cases, give them some welcome cash as well. <laughs> <laughs> So, and of course, the program has has grown from there. So many great people have been honored. Well, Dan, let's take a look at the 2011 class of jazz masters. Why don't we begin with David Liebman? Now, Dave plays practically any style of jazz, and his instruments are the tenor and soprano sax. He is uh, equally adept at both of them. He is, uh, of course, maybe best known to the general public for his association with Miles Davis. You know, working with Miles is always this kind of an imprimatur, you know, that stays with you. But uh, David is a very original, very imaginative musician. And as you say, no, he he, he is at home in many styles, but he's really uh, sort of always on the cusp. Uh, he's, he's definitely a contemporary player, and he is also a great educator. He's wonderful with young people. He is very articulate and currently working on his autobiography. Uh, that book should be something very interesting. Uh, Dave has been all over the world and has a very fine output of recordings, and uh, he's uh, really a very original stylist on both horns, both tenor and soprano. We mentioned him as a jazz educator. He's the founder of the International Association of Schools of Jazz. Right. That is significant. 
even though great jazz musicians now uh, you know, originate in other countries, America is still the beacon. And to have somebody like Dave going to various countries and uh, being active uh, on the educational front is, uh, is a very, uh, very important thing to do. We're going to listen to a piece by Dave Liebman called There Will Never Be Another You. To. There'll Never Be Another You is, of course, uh, a standard. It's part of what we call the Great American Songbook, and it has been interpreted by, oh, many people. But what Dave was doing there was uh, very original, and he is working, playing his tenor saxophone, which it has got a great sound there, with just bass and drums, uh, which is demanding. That's something that uh, Sonny Rollins really pioneered. Uh, and it's uh, demanding because you don't have the kind of harmonic bed, you know, that a, that a pianist who accompanies you or a guitarist can furnish. So you have to have very good ears to stay in the correct harmonic climate there. And of course, Dave does that. And he's got a wonderful kind of vocal quality on his horn and great range, very expressive, and uh, also with a constant pulse, which is something that we expect from jazz. You know, and it's easy to see, Dan, why you've won seven Grammy Awards for your liner notes. Volume. Well, thank you. Uh, You're welcome. <laughs> actually, actually, it's eight. <laughs> eight. Excuse me. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to take one away. <laughs> no, but that's good. Uh, the database is not up to date. I got one at last year's Grammy, so I got one, yeah. Johnny Mandel is another recipient of the award. He's a composer and arranger. He's worked with everyone, in every field, in jazz, in pop, in film music. The breadth of his work, it's really impossible to exaggerate it. Yeah, well, Johnny is, is one of the, the really great composer arrangers. Uh, I think a lot of people will know him, if, if, if for nothing else, from the shadow of your smile. Uh, which was the theme from The Sandpiper before somebody put lyrics to it. One of uh, Johnny's great film scores. Uh, he is an outstanding example of how you can apply compositional skills to jazz. I mean, he's written tunes like Shadow of Your Smile, which have become standard. But he started out uh, actually playing an unusual instrument, uh, which was like a valve bass trombone and uh, played in some big bands uh, as a young man, including Count Basie. And he wrote a lot of stuff for Basie, some great things for Basie. And even though he made a career in Hollywood and writing for 
films and television and so on. He always remained true to his heart, which is really in jazz, and uh, he's, a, he's a wonderful writer. His uh, arrangements are, you know, you can always tell that it's Johnny. You know. Well, we're going to hear one of his arrangements now. This is Let's Fall in Love, the singer Frank Sinatra. I have a feeling, it's a feeling I'm concealing, I don't know why It's just a mental, incidental, sentimental alibi But I adore you, so strong for you Why go on stalling, I'm falling, love is calling, why be shy? We heard the verse, which is unusual. You know, most popular songs have something called a verse. Uh, that is to say, popular songs in the great American songbook tradition. Today, who knows from verses, you know. But uh, that what we heard there was, was the verse, which is uh, seldom heard. But Sinatra likes to do verses. And uh, what you heard there was great background that uh, Johnny Mandel created for him. The thing about writing for singers is that you don't want to dictate. uh, You want to enhance, and that's what Johnny is doing there. And you can tell from the sound of the orchestra, his mastery as an an orchestrator. And uh, it's interesting to hear him writing for Sinatra. Of course, we know about uh, Nelson Riddle, who was identified with uh, writing for Frank, and this is different and just as great. When you listen to it, you can tell that it's Johnny Mandel who's done the arranging. Yes, he has. Uh, he has a characteristic way of phrasing for a band. You know, it's just like it's just like a great instrumentalist who has his own way of phrasing and his own sound. So great arrangers have that same kind of stamp that uh, identifies their work. Another jazz master is flutist Hubert Laws. And he has a background in classical music. He's played with the New York Philharmonic and the Metropolitan Opera Orchestras. But he is a great, great jazz player. You really don't hear jazz and flute together that often. It's not an instrument one thinks of when you think of jazz. Flute was a relatively late arrival in jazz. There were some isolated examples uh, The great drummer Chick Webb, you know, Chick had a uh, saxophonist in his band who doubled flute, and they had a little group of, you know, they had these bands within the bands like the Benny Goodman Trio and Quartet and Artie Shaw's Gramercy Five and so on. And Chick Webb had a group called Chick Webb and His Little Chicks, and it was a combination of clarinet and flute that was very interesting. But that was very unusual and the flute did not really come out into jazz until the 50s. The pioneer was jazz master Frank West, uh, who was with Count Basie and uh, played tenor, but also doubled on flute and uh, really put the flute on the jazz map. Now, Hubert Laws, Hubert came along with his own sound and 
his own facility on the instrument, which is very impressive, and also with a uh, solid background in classical music. And uh, Hubert is uh, a wonderful player with a with a beautiful sound on that instrument. Here's an excerpt of Hubert Laws playing Amazing Grace. What a sound that is. Oh, that's a beautiful, warm sound. And what Hubert Laws is playing there is an alto flute. Uh, the flute, like saxophones and clarinets, you know, comes in different editions, different registers. The alto flute has a deeper and warmer sound than the most commonly used flute, which is the uh, C flute. So there is also a bass flute, which is very rarely heard. But what Hubert does there is he creates such a beautiful, warm sound, and that's characteristic of, of his playing. He, he, has, he has a beautiful sound. He's a fine jazz player. We didn't hear that on Amazing Grace, but uh, he can improvise and he can swing. He certainly can. He can do it all. And we have your counterpart, the recipient of the 2011 A.B. Spellman Award for Jazz Advocacy, Oren Keepnews. Well, there is no counterpart to Oren. Oren is unique. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, but we are very good friends, and we have, I mean, I have done lots of liner notes for Oren, who is one of the great producers in jazz, and no mean writer himself, and actually one of the best editors I ever had. Uh, he was editor of a magazine called The Record Changer. That's how he really entered the, the jazz scene officially, uh, that was a magazine that sort of went from being a record collector's traditional jazz magazine to actually printing the first really intelligent article about Thelonious Monk, which happened to be by Oren himself. Well, here's a great number Oren produced. This is More Than You Know with Jimmy Heath. Dan, what makes a good producer a good producer? 
Well, the most important thing is to have good taste and have a good ear and to be able to you know, really relate to musicians and to kind of uh, not be a dictator, uh, but a facilitator. And Oren has marvelous taste. And what we heard there, by the way, was uh, jazz master class of 2003, Jimmy Heath, one of the famous Heath brothers, his older brother Percy, who is no longer with us, also was a jazz master and uh, one of the great bassists of all time, and his younger brother Tootie, not yet uh, in the uh, jazz masters, I think, but uh, he's due, (laughs) great, great, great drummer. Jimmy Heath is an example of another aspect of uh, a great producer's virtues, which is loyalty. Uh, Jimmy made many albums for Orrin at a time when uh, he wasn't that famous, and uh, still Orrin stuck with him uh, through thick and thin, and uh, that's something that is very commendable. And in the end, of course, it turned out to be uh, you know, a positive thing to do all around. But this is loyalty to artists, uh, which is very important for a producer. And Oren has uh, other talents, which is uh, he also very often did his own liner notes, uh, which he did just as well, if not better, than uh, many writers. (laughs) He's a writer. And, uh, of course, he started out as a publisher's editor, and that's how he came to be the editor of the record changer, and then one thing led to another. It's a very funny, interesting story. The way Oren and his partner at the record changer, Bill Grauer, became involved in making records was that there was a period in the early days of LPs when bootlegging started, and there was an LP label that called itself Jolly Roger, which is showing the flag for sure. But the interesting thing was that the Record Changer magazine, the investigative journalism, so to speak, which was not notable in jazz circles, found out that the Jolly Roger recordings were being pressed by RCA Victor, no less. So they were they were doing this in some cases, pressing their own bootlegged materials. So this became a kind of feather in the cap of uh, the record changer and Oren and Bill Grau, who were then asked by RCA Victor to start a reissue program, which was called Label X, and produced some wonderful reissue recordings. And that's how they came uh, into starting their own label, Riverside, and that's how Oren became eventually a major producer of new recordings. And one of the first people he recorded, actually, was jazz master Randy Weston. Indeed. And that was the first time Randy Weston was ever recorded, was with Oren. I think so. Yes, that's correct. That is right. Finally, we have, for the first time, a group that's honored with the award, a family, the Marsalis family. 
We have Ellis, Winton, Delphio, Jason, and Branford Marsalis. Yes, that is amazing. And uh, needless to say, it was also, you know, a bit of a surprise, but it seems like a wonderful thing to do. I think we should make it clear, though, which is something that uh, I didn't know initially, is that the father, Ellis, is the one who is getting the uh, $25,000 award. That's important. I think it was a wonderful idea because it is such an amazing, an amazing family. And Alice, of course, is the the father who uh, knew how to raise his sons, no question about that. That's right. He has six sons, and four of them are jazz musicians. Ellis is a wonderful pianist, aside from being an educator. He's the director emeritus of jazz studies at the New Orleans Center for Creative Arts. But in his own right, a wonderful pianist and kind of swimming against the grain down in New Orleans, really wanting to bring bebop to New Orleans. Yes, he did that. And uh, he is somebody who uh, has very strong opinions and knows what he wants to do and uh, always uh, has managed to do it. And uh, he became a very influential educator in New Orleans, no question about that. One of his students, I believe, was Harry Connick Jr. That's right. uh, I remember a wonderful little duet that the two of them did on two grand pianos down in New Orleans. I was there. I witnessed that. And that was also, that was the prelude at the concert to a reunion of the brothers, which hadn't taken place at that time for for some time, and that was also really wonderful. Well, the brothers, Branford's the oldest, then Winton. Delphio is a jazz producer, and... And a pretty good trombonist, And, tr- and I was too. about to say, and a trombonist, <laughs> and Jason is the youngest and a drummer. They all say what they learned from their father was how to listen. Well, and what, a, what a gift. That is a great gift. And it's a gift that uh, they've all, Winton started uh, with winning uh, unprecedented Grammy Awards for in both jazz and classical. And, of course, is an accomplished uh, classical trumpeter. And Branford is a very accomplished classical saxophonist who's done beautiful recordings of music by Mio and Debussy. So that's another aspect of being great listeners. And Delphine has produced some massive amount of recordings. He's a great record producer. He's won Grammy Awards for that. And among other people, he has recorders, Marcus Roberts and Harry Connick Jr. and... Uh, and Alice and Branford and Winton. So, and the the youngest, uh, Jason. Jason, by the way, is also an excellent uh, vibes player. He's not just a drummer. That's he right. plays very good vibes. Yes. Well, we're going to hear the whole family. What we're about to hear is sultry serenade. Thank you. 
that that piece, Sultry Serenade, is an Ellington piece, uh, actually uh, composed by a at that time uh, Ellington trombonist Tyree Glenn and great trombone playing. Belfair really gets Tyree's sound there. It's uh, remarkable. And that's a charming little tune, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I like it a lot. Well, 2011 certainly has a great class of jazz masters. Yes, indeed. Dan Morgan Stern, I want to thank you so much for giving me your time on a wintry day. And I look forward to seeing you in New York. Yes, indeed. Thanks for having me. That was 2007 NEA Jazz Master Dan Morgenstern. We were talking about the current class of Jazz Masters who are being honored with a ceremony and star-studded concert on January 11th. You can join the festivities because we're live streaming the concert from Jazz at Lincoln Center. Just visit our website, arts.gov, on January 11th and grab a front row seat. We have a 7.30 Eastern start time. You've been listening to Artworks, produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. Adam Campy is the musical supervisor. Excerpt from All Soul, from the CD Laws of Jazz, Flute Bylaws, performed by Hubert Laws, used courtesy Atlantic Records. Excerpt from Amazing Grace, from the CD The Best of Hubert Laws, performed by Hubert Laws, used courtesy of Sony Music Entertainment. Excerpt from There'll Never Be Another You, from the CD Return of the Tenor, Standards, performed by David Liebman, used courtesy of Double Time Jazz. Excerpt from Let's Fall in Love, from the album Ring-A-Ding-Ding, sung by Frank Sinatra, used courtesy of Warner Brothers Music. Excerpt from More Than You Know, from the CD Swamp Seed, performed by Jimmy Heath and Brass, used courtesy of Fantasy Records. Excerpt from Sultry Serenade, from the CD The Marsalis Family, a jazz celebration, performed by the Marsalis Family, used courtesy of Marsalis Music. Excerpt from Duke and Blue, from the CD Duke and Blue, performed by Ellis Marsalis, used courtesy of SBME. The Artworks Podcast is posted every Thursday at www.arts.gov. And now you can subscribe to Artworks at iTunes U. Just click on Beyond Campus and look for the National Endowment for the Arts. Next week, a conversation with novelist Luis Alberto Urea. To find out how Artworks and communities across the country, keep checking the Artworks blog or follow us at NEA Arts on Twitter. For the National Endowment for the Arts, I'm Josephine Reed. Thanks for listening.